0: good to be with you all this morning. Take your Bibles, if you have them, and turn or scroll in your phones, I guess, to Exodus 32, Exodus 32. We are out of the section on the tabernacle, but uh, we'll be in just a few chapters uh, back into the tabernacle in terms of constructing it. So uh, a little reprieve here in the middle of Exodus here. Exodus 32 is going to be our scripture for this morning. And again, thank you, uh, Chris and the team for leading us in music this morning. And again, happy Father's Day to our fathers here in the house. Well, this morning we are looking at a portion of scripture that is uh, somewhat familiar. It's somewhat familiar to, to many of us, even those who don't believe or don't even know the Bible. Uh, They often know the the term, the phrase, the golden calf, the golden calf, right? And they know it's a bad thing. Even if you don't know the Bible at all, you've heard of the golden calf, you know it's not a good thing. And sometimes familiarity can make us assume that we all know all that there is to know about something. You're familiar with the golden calf? Oh yeah, I've been there, done that. I've heard about it. Maybe you've seen uh, depictions of that scene. Um, In in movies and whatnot. And that familiarity prevents us from diving in deeper to get all that God has for us in his word. And this morning, I believe that our time in God's word will be sobering, will be humbling, and that it would be helpful. That it would be helpful. Uh, This incident of the golden calf sets up a paradigm. It sets up a, a pattern of what our sin is like before God. Uh, our sin is like idolatry, and the rest of the Bible has echoes of this moment, and God tells us that these things were written for our instruction. what What happened to Israel was written down that we might learn from it, that we, we might learn from their example. In fact, keep a finger here in Exodus 32 and you can turn to First Corinthians 10 or you can just listen. First Corinthians 10 all the way in the New Testament refers back to this moment. Uh, let me read for you First Corinthians ten, Verses 1 to 13, the Word of God says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness." Obviously, this is referring back to Moses. They were all under the cloud, the, the pillar of cloud and fire. They all passed through the sea. They were baptized into the cloud and the sea. This is all referring to the Exodus. Verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is exactly referring to uh, the, the golden calf incident But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What's interesting here is it says that these things happen to Israel for our instruction, for an example for us that we might learn, right? A friend of mine once said this. He said, fools will fail to learn from their own mistakes. The average person learns from their own mistakes, but the wise person learns from others' mistakes. So here we have an opportunity to learn from the example of the Israelites. And I think what's interesting here is you might be thinking, I would never be tempted to make a golden calf. First of all, gold is really expensive. Uh, True, true. But notice it says, "Take, take heed, you who stand, lest you fall. When you think that you are not in danger, when you think you are okay, that is the time when you are at most danger of failing. I mean, just think about Peter. Peter who said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And just a few verses later, Jesus has to say to him, behind me, Satan. Often when we are at our best, when when great things are happening, we are vulnerable. So take take heed lest we fall. You might not be tempted to make a golden calf, but 1 Corinthians 10.13 said, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, all of our temptations, there might be some different variations, some different flavors, a remix of, of sorts, but at the root of it, all of our temptations are all similar to one another. And so what tempted the Israelites to build a golden calf and worship it, there is a similarity. There is a sharing of that temptation it is common to us in some way and if 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 we think that is totally outside the realm of possibility then we are at most danger of falling and so going back to exodus this is written for our instruction it's an example for us to learn from about Israel's sin and how we might avoid sin and repent of sin, but also about who our God is. Exodus 32 to 34, this section really zeros in on who our God is, and it is amazing. But, but this morning, we can only focus on chapter 32. And just to remind you what's going on here, right? Uh, we, we have just walked through Uh, several chapters about the tabernacle, about the tent that God would dwell in. God's going to dwell in a tent with Israel. But but just before all these instructions, what was going on? Moses had gone up the mountain, right? God had entered into a covenant with Israel. It was like a marriage ceremony. And just like any good wedding, there was some food after. They, They ate midway up the mountain with God. They saw some vision of God, even on the mountain. And then Moses was called up onto the very top of the mountain where God would meet with him in in a fiery pillar of cloud, and God would speak to him, it says, for 40 days and 40 nights. And what God was telling him was all these instructions for the tabernacle. For 40 days and 40 nights, he's giving Moses these instructions for the tabernacle because God was going to dwell with man. The greatest privilege imaginable God was going to dwell amongst Israel. So Moses is up on the mountain receiving these instructions. This is this amazing thing that's going on. And yet the good vibes don't last very long. Because in chapter 32, something terrible happens. Exodus 32, starting in verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. They, on the heels of this covenant they've entered into, on the heels of, as it were, a marriage with God, this marriage covenant relationship with God, Before the ink on the wedding certificate is dry, before they have even left to go on their honeymoon, so to speak, Israel is committing spiritual adultery. They are worshiping a graven image. They have broken the first commandment, the second commandment, and they go on to break the rest of them pretty much. And and what we have here is this striking example of idolatry. As we walk through this chapter, my my hope for us is to learn three lessons about idolatry from the golden calf. I want us to see three lessons about idolatry from the golden calf. Uh, The first thing I want you to notice is that idolatry is always an exchange. Idolatry is an exchange. I read up to Verse 1, let me continue on from verse 2 down to verse 20. So Aaron said to them, take off your rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, uh, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he fashioned the gold from their hand. he fashioned it and, um, uh, and, uh, with a ga- uh, graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. You see that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. I am who I am. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, Yahweh. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings. And people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The Lord said to Moses, go down. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of, the sound of singing I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. There's a lot going on there. I I, want to walk through this with you and help you to see some things, but I want you to get the the big idea here. The the main thing I want you to see here is that this idolatry was an exchange. exchange. And again, all idolatry uh, is really a picture, a paradigm, a pattern of what sin looks like in our lives. And I'll explain a little bit more about what I mean by that later. But first, I, I want you to notice something. In Exodus 32... They are worried because Moses seems to be delayed. He's not so quick in coming down, and they, they don't know what happened to him. They, they said, this Moses who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Now, what's interesting is, if I ask you who brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, what's the right answer? Who? God. But they said, this Moses. So they're already giving the credit that should be God's to Moses. This, this man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him so they say to Aaron, make us gods who shall go before us. And later on, they say about these idols, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They're taking what God had done and said, well, Moses did it, and we don't know where he is. So now they're saying, well, then these idols did it. These calves did it. It's interesting because in the second commandment, back in Exodus 20, the second commandment, you shall not make any graven image. You shall not bow down and worship it it actually uses this exact language. He he says, because I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Don't make any image. I'm the one who did this. And they go and make this image and say, these are our gods who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. They were so impatient. God's up there with Moses. You see the pillar. You see the fire. You see all that's going on at the top. But they were impatient and said, no, we'd rather make an idol for ourselves. What I want you to see here first some subpoints under idolatry is an exchange. Number 1, idolatry gives God's glory to another. Idolatry always gives God's glory to another. They took the glory that belonged to God and said, "Well, Moses did it. Uh now this this golden calf did it." And they even used the exact language of the second commandment to to worship this golden calf. And what's amazing is Aaron fashions this out of these gold earrings. Uh, the, these earrings were spoiled that the Israelites got from leaving Egypt and they were supposed to use this gold to help build the tabernacle. We, we got all these chapters about the tabernacle. They're going to build this tabernacle with gold and bronze and silver and all kinds of fabrics This gold should have been used to build a tabernacle for God to dwell in their midst. This gold should have been used to worship the Lord, their God. And they used this gold instead to worship an idol, to make an idol. Talk about a reversal. Taking gifts from the Lord that were meant to be used to worship him, they took those gifts and committed idolatry instead. And what's interesting is he grinds it up. He grinds up that calf we read later on and throws it over the water and makes them drink it. Uh, There's a couple things about that that I want you to to understand. One is that if they drink this gold dust, um, that, that gold is no longer recoverable, is it? God will not allow the golden calf to be repurposed for his uses, for his worship, for his house. It is defiled, it is unclean, it will have no part in his home. Idolatry gives God's glory to another, it gave his gold to another, so to speak. But not only that, idolatry seeks God's blessings from another. And not only gives God's glory to another, it seeks God's blessings from another. It wants the blessings of God without God. Uh, What do I mean by this? Their concern in verse 1 that says, up, make us gods who shall go before us. They wanted God to go before them. They're going into a land where there's going to be other peoples who are hostile. God said, I'll go before you. I'll drive out those people. I will give you victory over those people. So they said, oh, this is great. God's going to go with us. He's going to protect us. He's going to defend us. He will fight for us. God is a warrior, it says in Exodus 15.3. Good job to the warriors this past week. The king's excitement comes this week, right, with the draft. Anyway, where was I? They, they're thankful God's going to go in and fight for them. But now they say, Moses isn't here. Yahweh, the Lord, is not here So we need somebody to go before us. So that's why they say to Aaron, make us gods who shall go before us. If Yahweh is not going to go fight for us, then at least this golden calf will help us. Because we still want the land. We still want the blessing. We still want the deliverance. We still want a deity to fight for us. We don't care who gives it to us as long as we get the stuff. So they take God's glory and give it to another. They seek God's blessings from another. They just want to ensure that they will arrive in the land safely. Christopher Wright makes this really insightful comment about idolatry. He says, We tend to idolize the things that we place our trust in to deliver us from the things that we fear. We tend to idolize the things that we place our trust in to deliver us from the things that we fear. He goes on to say this, The idolatrous dimension emerges, when we place ultimate faith in such things, when we believe all the promises that are made or implied in them, and when we make all the sacrifices that they demand in exchange for what they speciously offer. Just as an example, if, if you believe that your life is not worth living, if you believe that life is without meaning or purpose unless unless you make it financially, unless you have all the stuff, you turn material goods into an idol. You think they will promise, they will give you security, they will give you meaning, they will give you a reputation, they will give you honor, they will give you security, all these things, they will give you joy. And if you think that this idol of material goods can satisfy you, then you will make every sacrifice imaginable. You will work the long hours, you will put your family on the altar and sacrifice your family for the sake of material goods. You can fill in the blank with anything else you want, sexual fulfillment, uh, reputation, political power, whatever it is. If you worship something else, you think it's going to give you what you ultimately want, and so you will make sacrifices for it. That is how you worship an idol, by sacrificing for it. So you see, Israel gave God's glory to another. Israel sought God's blessings from another, but also idolatry does this. Idolatry breaks God's relationship. To pursue another. Idolatry breaks God's relationship to pursue another. Remember, later scriptures talk about this moment of the Mosaic covenant almost like a marriage, almost like a marriage. And when Moses comes down the mountain, it's interesting because the anger of the Lord burned hot and Moses says, Please relent. And he goes down, he sees just how bad it is, and then he gets angry. And he, it's as if he's representing the people before the Lord, but he's also representing the Lord to the people. He's that mediator in between. And he goes down and he throws the tablets down. This wasn't done in a fit of rage. This wasn't done unthinkingly. This was his symbolic act of saying, you have broken the covenant. The covenant we have just made with God written on tablets, you broke it. You broke the covenant, so the tablets are broken. It's as, if, it's as if upon realizing that the spouse has been unfaithful, Moses takes the marriage certificate and just rips it right there. Israel, you have been unfaithful to God. And it was interesting, the, the golden calf grinds it up, puts it in the water, makes them drink it, if you've read the rest of your Old Testament, this sounds oddly familiar, I shouldn't say oddly familiar, divinely, uh, intendedly familiar to something else that happens in Numbers 5. In Numbers 5, there is this strange little thing about a test for adultery, a test for adultery. If, if, if a husband suspects that his wife has committed adultery, um, there's this test where the priest takes dust from inside the tabernacle, sprinkles it on water, and then makes her drink it. And if she has been unfaithful, she will experience a curse. If she hasn't, she'll be fine. I think this is divinely intended to be reminiscent of that. In other words, Israel's idolatry was adultery. Israel's idolatry was adultery. It wasn't just breaking a law. It wasn't just breaking a contract. It was breaking a covenant relationship. Let me ask you, who is more offended Who's more offended, a judge whose law is broken by a felony or a spouse whose marriage covenant is broken by adultery? That's what's going on here. Frequently, the, the, the Bible speaks of Israel's sins not as law-breaking, but as spiritual adultery. Ezekiel has a vivid imagery of this in Ezekiel 16. Israel commits adultery, as it were, on their honeymoon, before the ink on the certificate has dried, before they have left Mount Sinai, they are already in the midst of adultery, spiritual, spiritual adultery. And this, this language of this golden calf is reminiscent of Judges 8 when Gideon makes a golden ephod, and he tells the people, give me your earrings, and he makes this golden ephod, and they worship it. They make an idol out of it. That idea of golden earrings being thrown in. Uh, Later on in 1 Kings 12, Jeroboam, an evil king, a sinful king, he made golden calves as well. I mean, it's almost shocking that you would do that. Like, if anybody said to you, hey, you know, I want to have some gold jewelry. What about, like, some golden calves? You'd be like, no, no, don't do it. Like, anything but golden calves. But Jeroboam made golden calves. In 1 Kings 12, It says this, so the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Does that sound familiar? And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. So this idea of idolatry and golden calves and golden idols and worshiping them, this comes up again and again in Israel's history. In fact, if you keep a finger here in Exodus 32, go to Psalm 106. This is just shocking, the language here. Psalm 106, verses 19 to 22. 19 to 22, and then uh, we'll come back to Psalm 106 later at the end as well. 19, uh, Psalm 106, verse 19 They made a calf in Horeb. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. Oftentimes, places in the Bible have two names. Mount Sinai is also known as Mount Horeb. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. Now, listen to this, this wording here. And they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done Great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. They made a calf, and it was an exchange. It was, it was an exchange of the glory of God for an image. If you go a few books over to the right, or if you just listen, Jeremiah 2 picks up this idea of an exchange. Jeremiah 2, verses 9 to 13. Therefore, I contend with you. I still contend with you, declares the Lord. With your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and sea, or ascend to Kedar and examine with care, and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed? Has a nation exchanged its gods, even though they are no gods? Now, Now, this is a rhetorical question. The answer is no. The Philistines stick with their Philistine gods. The Canaanites stick with their Canaanite gods. The Egyptians stick with their Egyptian gods. They're faithful. They're idolatrous, but they're faithful. But my people, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Notice he says, they exchanged my glory for something else. And he doesn't say it's just one evil, it's two, two things. They forsook me, the fountain of living water. They forsook me, the source of all blessing and goodness. And they chose to dig for themselves cisterns, holes in the ground that couldn't hold water. And rather than going to the fountain of living water, they would rather suck on dirt. Foolish, wicked, evil idolatry. And this language is then picked up by Paul in Romans 1. Romans 1 all the way in the New Testament. This is no accident of Paul. Paul is a Bible scholar writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. Uh, starting in verse 21, uh, Romans 1, starting in verse 21. Romans 1:21. for although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now listen to this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, verse 23, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is at the very heart of all sin. All sin at the very heart of it is idolatry and an exchange of the glory of God for some other image. If you read the rest of Romans 1, if you're familiar with Romans 1, you know what Romans 1 talks about. It talks about sexual sin. Especially in our culture today, during this month, this is a very apropos chapter. We we can think of sins and our culture out there. And and it's easy to, to sort of pick on those things out there that are on the surface, that are loud and proud out there. And the Bible certainly does condemn them just as it condemns all sin. But what I think we forget is that at the heart of it, at the heart of it, the issue is this exchange that we all do. We all make this same exchange. We are all guilty before the Lord for our sin. This is not, Romans 1 is not put in there for us to judge the world out there for their sexual sin. Romans 1 is put in here to condemn our own hearts. To put us under the microscope of God's law. This exchange is at the heart of all these other things. Romans 1.24, therefore, because of this, therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, because they made this exchange, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. You see, the, the root of it is this heart of idolatry, this exchange of the glory of God for something else. And so it's, it started truly back in the garden when Eve ate the fruit. But this takes on form here with the golden calf in Exodus 32. They want the blessings of God from another. They give the glory of God to another, and they break the relationship with God to pursue a relationship with another. This is at the heart of all sin. And so even though you might not bow down to a golden calf, I might not have a golden calf in the corner of my house, secret, hidden away, where I bow down when no one's watching. I don't do that. You don't do that. But we all worship something. God made us to be worshipers. I don't know if you understand that. God made us to be worshipers, and we were made to worship him. And when we worship him, everything's right. Everything's good. We find joy and fulfillment. God is glorified. The world is as it should be. We were made to worship, and when we worship him, everything is right in the universe. But just as in the solar system, if you replace the sun and put the earth at the middle of it, the earth isn't big enough to hold everything in orbit. The solar system will spin out of control because that is not how it's meant to be. God is meant to be at the center of our worship, and when we worship something else, everything is wrong. The reason why our world is broken is because we worship something else. I want to say to you this morning, if you have a problem in your life, you have a a sin in your life, you have a a challenge in your life that's related to this, this idea of sin, it is it is a problem of worship. If you're having difficulty in your marriage, the the final answer to that is not, we just need more communication skills. The final answer to that is not, we just need to go on more date nights. The problem is, you are worshiping something else besides the Lord. Whether it's yourself, your spouse, your children, your work, peace and quiet, you are worshiping something. Your problem, my problem, fundamentally, is a worship problem. The reason why you have challenges in relationships, the the reason why you have difficulties in in conflicts is because of a worship problem. John Calvin would say this, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. We give Aaron a hard time. He made this graven image and he said, I I, I didn't do it. I just threw the gold in there and out popped this calf, he says later on. Uh, We might give Aaron a hard time for making that idol, but our hearts are perpetually pumping out idols, as John Calvin says. It's a perpetual factory of idols. So this is a, a disastrous moment in the life of Israel. God has redeemed Israel that they might know God and that they might make him known. God redeemed Israel that they might know him and make him known. He redeemed them that he might proclaim his name to them and through them to the world. But now all of that's threatened because they, if, if they are not a holy nation that's set apart, they cannot be a kingdom of priests to represent the Lord. This whole thing is in danger. We've got these chapter after chapters of instructions about the tabernacle, but now the covenant is broken. God says, it's over. The relationship is done. In other words, the the question should come up, is God going to still dwell with his people? And thankfully, we know the answer is yes, but but we need to see how it gets there through Moses' intercession. This is a disastrous moment. God was intending to dwell with them, but they are a stiff-necked people. So Moses intercedes and God listens. Moses intercedes. Notice Moses did not say, because your people are so good, they just messed up. It's just a mistake. Just this one time. Doesn't say that. They'll do better. Doesn't say that. Instead, in Exodus 32, notice what he says. The reason that Moses gives Verse 11, Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self. In other words, what he's saying is, God, if you destroy this people and they deserve it, He doesn't say they don't deserve it. He doesn't try to rationalize or justify or minimize. He says, if you destroy this people, if you destroy your people, notice the Lord said, you brought this people out of Egypt. He said, no, no, no. This is your people you brought up, God. They're your people. They belong to you. They represent you. If you destroy them, Egypt's going to say, who is this God? This this would be bad for your name. This would be bad for your glory, God. It's not about them. Israel deserves what's coming to them. But God, you deserve what's coming to you. And that is glory and honor and worship. Don't do this thing for your own namesake. You want to make your name known. Make your name known. Not just that you're powerful enough to smite Egypt, but also that you are good enough to forgive Israel. And he says, remember your promise by which you swore to yourself. He doesn't say, look at how good Abraham is or Isaac or Jacob. You just have to read Genesis once to realize they're not that good. He doesn't say based on their goodness. He says, because you, God, you swore. Your reputation's on the line. Your faithfulness to your promises. Oh, God, don't do this thing. Don't wipe them out. And what's amazing is God said, I will wipe them out and start over with you, Moses. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Moses has gone through a lot. And the people did not really appreciate him all that much. And God says, okay, they're out. And I'm going to start over with you, Moses. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. How how tempting would that be to say, okay, cool. But Moses puts God's honor and God's reputation above his own. Moses is unwilling to exchange the glory of God for the glory of Moses. So Moses intercedes not based on Israel's goodness, not based on his own goodness. He intercedes based on the goodness of God, the reputation of God, the honor of God, and the glory of God. We will not have time to finish all of 32. But I want to... I <sighs> I want to make a note here. At the end of chapter 32, Moses says to the people, you have sinned a great sin. You've sinned a great sin, and I will try to make atonement for you. Look at Exodus 32. I just want you to see this as we, as we close today. Exodus 32, verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. I like that. Just states the obvious. And now I'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. I can make atonement so Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. He's consistent. They have made for themselves gods of gold. Now, how was Moses going to make atonement? But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. He says, God, forgive them, forgive them, but if, if not, take me instead. Blot me out of your book. Crush me, but spare them. Moses is so committed to the glory of God that he says, don't start over and make a nation out of me. In fact, blot my name out that you might forgive them and glorify your own name. Now, God does not take Moses up on that. This is where I wanted to read Psalm 106. We'll have to read it next time. Psalm 106, after the the part about exchanging the glory of God for an image they made a, a calf at Horeb. It ends there by saying, and they would have been struck down, but Moses stood in the breach. Yes, he stood in the breach partially. He was able to intercede on behalf of Israel to divert the wrath of God from completely annihilating Israel, but they they still were, were disciplined. They still had a plague, they still had 3,000 die. Moses said, take me instead, and God said no. Moses said, let me be a mediator for them, and God said no. Let me be a substitute for them, and God said no. Why? Because Moses couldn't do it. Moses is one man, and this is a great nation. Moses is a sinful man, and there needs to be a sinless sacrifice. And you know where this is going, don't you? There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Sinless, perfect, fully man, so he can represent man to God, fully God, that he might represent God to man. And Jesus is the one who says, blot my name out, and God says yes. On the cross, Jesus is the true and better Moses who intercedes, stands in the breach, absorbs the wrath of God that we might be forgiven of our idolatry, of our golden calves, of our sin that exchanges the glory of God for all kinds of things. Friends, I stand before you today as a sinner in need of a Savior, and I want to say, will you trust in him as well? Praise God that he is a gracious and forgiving God, We ought not take our sin lightly. We need to stare our sin in the face and say, it is wicked and it is evil. It's not just a mistake. It wasn't just an accident. It wasn't uh, just a a product of our circumstances. Our sin comes from our very hearts because our hearts are an idol-making factory and it requires the punishment of God. And yet God says there is a substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. Friends, if you don't know him today, I beg you to trust in him. And if you do know him, I beg you to live for him today. To put away those idols, to put away that sin, to repent and pursue the Lord together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for time this morning and your word. Lord, would you... Grant us repentance. Would you cause us to be holy? Not for our own sake, but for yours. To your name be glory forever and ever. Amen.